Hey everybody, welcome, glad you're here. Why don't we open our Bibles uh, to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, just so thankful to God for this church and for everyone who has helped to labor to make Sunday mornings happen. And just a couple of uh, quick announcements is that for the summer we give our kids treasuring Christ workers a break so they serve uh, faithfully for nine or so months and then over June and July we give them a break. So um, from here forward, months of June and July, uh, only infants will have uh, child care and then we want all the kids to hang out in here with you. So, um, so just know that two and over will be in here months of June and July as we uh, worship together in that way to serve our workers. We also have a few slots that are still needed, so if you are able, especially if you have not been serving in KTC, if you are able to serve one-off, we would love to have you do that. We also have other announcements that are coming up. On You'll see them on the back of the bulletin. They're on our website. Um, we have summer camp on June 24th through the 28th. If you want to register uh, kids, uh, kids that you know, kids in your family, neighborhood, Kids, these are uh, the registration forms. They look like this. They're out in the foyer. And if you want to sign up to volunteer to help, there's a uh, camp meeting on June the 9th after church. We would love for you to be a part of that as well. We will also begin neighborhood barbecues on uh, Thursday evenings, June the 13th and the 20th. We'll do that in the neighborhood here around the church. So if you want to serve and be a part of that, uh, please let us know. You can, If you don't remember anything, you can just send it to info at tccrally.org. We'll get it where it needs to go. Um, but we are looking forward uh, to serving together and now going through uh, God's Word together. So here on Memorial Day, we're, uh, I'm going to take just a kind of a, a pause in the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to hone in on one word in the book, one word. The word is hope. So Ephesians chapter 4 is where we are today, and I want to read verses 1 to 4 and then pray, and we'll dive in to this kind of meditation and reflection upon this one hope that we have in Christ. Ephesians chapter 3. So for those of you who are guests, we are going through the book of Ephesians, uh, verse by verse, and today I'm just going to hone in on one word in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, but I'll read verses 1 to 4. The Word of God says this, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that in this moment, you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. There would be an infusion of your presence and an awareness of your power. There would be an experience of your goodness and faithfulness. And that, Father, above all, we would see Jesus. With spiritual eyes, we would taste and see that He is good and that we would see His beauty and His glory. God, please captivate our wandering hearts with You. We need to remember You. We need not to forget You. We need, 
hope to rise up in our hearts as we're tempted at many turns to be discouraged or to set our hopes on other things. Father, please, recenter us, ground us in the hope that is to be had in Christ Jesus. Only you can answer these prayers. Only you can do this. And so in my helplessness, I come and I just ask for your mercy upon this moment. Honor your word and move, I pray. For the sake of your name and the good of your people, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Happy Memorial Day weekend, right? So Memorial Day is the first or the last Monday in May. And it is a federal holiday that began in 1971, but its roots go back all the way to the Civil War. So after the Civil War, national cemeteries were created for the first time, and it was then after the Civil War that people would go to these graves and they would decorate the graves in order to remember lives lost for freedom. And so it was called Decoration Day, and that was commemorated from then forward. And yet in 1971, it was created as a federal holiday called Memorial Day, a day when we, as the name might tip you off to, when we remember, when we memorialize, we remember those who have gone before us who have died, men and women, died for the sake of our freedom. Now, why should we remember Because we need to remember that freedom isn't cheap. It didn't come without a cost. And if we forget the cost with which it came, we will probably lose courage when it needs to be fought for later. Now, remembering is essential. Remembering is essential not just for Memorial Day. Remembering is essential for Christianity. The Bible exists so that we might remember. So in some senses, what we're doing right now is Memorial Day. And what we do every single week is Memorial Day. To help us remember our great God. Every morning that you wake up, if you crack open the pages of this word, it's Memorial Day. It's a day to remember And to not forget that there is a God in heaven and he loves his people and he wants to be with us. That he speaks and he cares. He works and he moves. And so we remember because remembering is essential. From the beginning, God has said we must remember. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15 says this, you shall remember people of Israel, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He said, remember. The institution of Sabbath, the Sabbath day, you shall work six days and on the seventh day, it's a day of rest. It was a commemoration to remember that our sustenance is not of our own might, but ultimately from the provision of God. To stop work one day a week is to say, God, you are my provider, I'm not. It's to remember what we're tempted to forget. The Bible also speaks that the core of every sin is forgetting. Hosea chapter 2, when he summarizes the sins of the people of Israel, 
going after other lovers and holding on to possessions, he says, and they forgot God. Hosea chapter 2, verse 13. The forgetting of God is at the essence of our running from God. We need to remember him. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. We must rehearse Jesus over and over. We must remember. And that's why almost every single week we take the Lord's Supper. Because as you take the Lord's Supper, Jesus instituted it and used these words. And Paul repeated those words as he told it to the Corinthian church. And he says, do this in what? Remembrance of me. Sorry if you're, an, if you're not a believer and you don't go to church. That felt like kind of... Everybody knew the answer but you. It's okay. It's okay. The Bible says, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, I want you to take this meal so that every single time you gather, you remember I had to die for your sins and my death was sufficient. Remember, remember. When we forget, tragic things happen. We run after other loves. We demote God in our hearts. We lose confidence and power. We feel less secure in His love. We grow more cynical. Others grow more depressed. Fear and timidity abounds and hope dwindles. So for the past several months, I've been thinking a lot about hope. And so what I wanted to do today was to stir us up by way of reminder that we have one hope. That we have hope. The Christian life is meant to be characterized by hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, he says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in the one hope. He's already told us what that hope is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, we were the first to hope in Christ. What is the hope of the Christian? It is Jesus Christ. It is a person, not a setting. It's not just that things will be beautiful one day. It's not in that temperatures might be lower one day. It is in a person, Jesus Christ. He is our one hope. And so today, I just want to take a few minutes to help us remember why the Christian is characterized by hope. So we're going to look at three things. Number one, what is hope? What is hope? Two, why is hope essential? And three, how does hope rise again in our hearts? What is hope? Why is hope essential? And how in the world can it rise again? In the heart. So, number one, let's look at it together. What is hope? Hope is longing. It's longing, longing for something in the future. And we use hope language all the time. Regularly, we use hope language. I hope I passed the test. Right, students? Yep, exam time was just recently, right? Or it's coming. I hope I passed the test. Singles, I hope I get married. Some of you, that's your hope. Others, summer's coming. You say, 
I hope I get to go swimming soon. If I've heard that once, it feels like I've heard it a thousand times from my children. When are we going swimming? I hope I can go swim. You know, I'm just like, slow down, okay? Some, it's like, okay, I want to play outside. I hope it doesn't rain. Others, I hope I get a job. Others, I hope my health will improve. This idea of hope is, is a sense of longing. It's a desire. It's this expectation, anticipation. Something's coming. These hopes, they're not bad. They're good. It's fine. They're just not ultimate. They're not an ultimate hope. They are not secure. And we can hope in things that don't always pan out, that don't always work out like we hoped. I was talking to my wife this week, and she talked of a co-worker's friend who, I don't know if you've ever... Uh, seen this before, there are cameras, sometimes they're at traffic lights that when you run the light, they will take your picture, right? Most of us aren't smiling in those pictures, but they'll take a picture and it just tells you when you've run the light. Other times there are cameras that can actually spot kind of other offenses, like are you going too fast? And they can take your picture and they can send you a ticket for that. So this one guy, this is a true story, this one guy was going through and he saw the camera flash. You know, it's one of those kind of stomach falls kind of thing. Well, for him, it didn't fall because he knew he was not speeding. And so he said, I'm going through again. So he makes the loop and he goes through again. He knows, knows what the speed limit is, looks at his speedometer. I'm not speeding. And he goes through again and it flashes again. And so He's kind of got this kind of personality, and so he's like, I'm going again. And so he circles back around, no exaggeration, five times. Goes through it five times. A few months later, he gets not one, not two, not three, not four, but five citations because he wasn't wearing his seatbelt. <laughs> so he had it all figured out. He... uh he knew that he was right, and he thought it was all clear, but it's just not what he had hoped. It's not what he had thought was going to happen. So you might pass the test, and you might not. It might rain, and it might not. I'm doing a wedding today at 4 o'clock, and it's an outdoor wedding. I'm hoping that it's 70 degrees outside. I don't think that's going to fly. Right now, they're saying 94, okay? So anyway... It might rain, it might not, it might be cool, it might not. It might go as you hope, or you might be mistaken. These are hopes, but these are surface hopes. There's a hope under the hope. There's an ultimate hope. There's an ultimate longing where we are meant to set all of our hopes upon, and that hope is not in our changing circumstances or our waffling feelings. That hope is in what Ephesians 4 says. It's a one hope. That one day, sinners like us who should have zero access to God, every longing of the human heart will be satisfied in the blink of an eye when we are with Him face to face in glory, in resurrected glory, in a new heavens and a new earth. That's our one hope. Forever and ever, by simple faith alone, we will enjoy Jesus. 
we will be with the Father forever in resurrected glory. That is our hope. So without Christ, Ephesians chapter 2 says we are without hope. We have no hope. But by simple faith alone, acknowledging that we are sinners in need of a Savior and Jesus is the only Savior, not our good works, not anything we can do, by simple faith alone, we have one hope. The Christian is characterized by hope. But more than just that hope is out there in the future. And sometimes when we think of the future, we think of heaven, we think of like this pristine setting. The hope of the future is also the hope of the here and now. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. This is how Psalm 71 talks about it. For you, O Lord, are my hope. My trust, O Lord, from my youth. Jesus is our hope. And I just want to take an aside here. The passage is the psalmist saying that from his youth, teenage years, he was setting his hope upon the Lord. Please do not, teenagers, kids, hear me, do not buy into the lie that being serious for God happens when you get older and right now you're on cruise control. It is a lie from the pit of hell. Your satisfaction and your joy is not by the affirmation of your peers. It is not by just making the honor roll. It is not by having some fashion status or having this perfect image. Your only hope that will last and satisfy is in Jesus Christ. And that hope is not meant to be pursued when you get older. It's meant to be pursued right here and right now. Give it all for Him. That hope will not put you to shame. Do it now. The longing of every human heart is in God. The Lord is my hope. He is my trust. And that hope is not just abstractly out here. It's right here and now because Colossians 1 says this. You want to know what the mystery of mysteries is? Is that all peoples, every nation, tribe, and tongue, anyone who confesses Christ, Jesus comes and lives inside of us. And it says in Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So hope is not just out there. Hope has come and lived inside of you by faith alone. Hope is now because Christ is now in you, living in you, working in you. This is a hope to be lived in. And that's why Peter says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A hope that is alive. A hope that is constantly producing and growing and increasing. Because your relationship with God is growing and increasing. And that ultimate hope will find its apex. According to Peter. That we will have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And so, we have a hope and that hope is Christ. That is our one hope. However... I just listed a ton of things that we can say, my hope is this. So we got lots of hopes, lots of hopes and dreams, right? Paul really wants us to make sure that although we can set our secondary hopes on certain things, we can pray for certain things, that's fine, but our ultimate hope is to be set on God. Listen to 1 Timothy 6.17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set your hope on God, 
who richly provides you everything to enjoy. So we can set our hopes, put everything on this one thing, and when it fails us, we can lose hope. We can become hopeless. And here he says, don't set your hope on something uncertain. Set it on something certain. That is God himself. He is our hope. So that's what hope is. It is a longing It is a desire, and ultimately that desire is satisfied in Christ. So Christ is our hope, and being with him face to face one day in a new heavens and a new earth, in resurrected glory, that is the one hope of the Christian, and we're meant to be characterized by that. Why is it essential? Why has God made it so that hope is essential in the human heart? Well, sometimes you know things are essential once you've lost them. I played sports growing up. And it didn't matter how big you were. Like sometimes if you played contact sports or if you just played sports, the, the, the stronger, the bigger, they could handle more blows. But it didn't matter how big you were. If you got the wind knocked out of you, you were out. You were down. It was just like small little blow right here in this little part. Like, you know, like that. And even the strongest could not get up. It was just this take the wind out of you. And so all of a sudden you're made crystal clear aware of like, Hey, I took for granted that ability to breathe just then. And then you like lose it. Same with a cold. You know, you're just breathing fine. You're sleeping great. And then all of a sudden you get this crazy cold and your sinuses fill up and you can't breathe. And it just gets really frustrating. And you struggle to sleep well. And then you try to, you know, your throat hurts the next morning and all kinds of stuff. You don't know how essential clean nasal passages are until they ain't clean no more. So that is what is hope. Hope is essential, but sometimes you don't know that it's essential until you've lost it. Our hope is being attacked all the time. Hope is being drained out regularly. Our world is telling us to set our hope on different things. Image, possessions, fame, job, money, career. Set your hopes on relationships. Whatever it is, set your hope there. And it will pan out. It's an attack. It's an attack upon hope. Because when you set your hope on something uncertain, when it's taken away, what goes away is hope. Our hope is not just threatened by The constant message of the day, our hope is threatened when we suffer. When we feel attacked, when sickness hits us, whatever it is, when we are just struggling, we see our hope begin to drain out. We can ask questions that expose a wavering hope. God, are you really there? Do you really care? You feel alone. You feel like nothing's going to work out. You feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Nothing will ever change. And you get discouraged is the word. Discouragement isn't sin. But it's dwelling in the discouragement. Staying there. That can lead the heart to do all kinds of crazy things. And when our hope and security is threatened... We feel beaten down and weak. What crushes our hope? The weakness 
in those that we love. Spouses, children, roommates, parents, co-workers, neighbors. Their weakness can threaten our hope. Because we're not perfect. We hurt each other. So betrayal can threaten our hope. Financial struggles can threaten our hope, can't it? I thought I was just getting over the hump. I thought if I just did this, we would be okay. Only to find yourself struggling to meet this need or this need. And you can feel hopeless. You just wish that person would listen to you. You feel hopeless. Will things ever go my way? You feel hopeless. Will they ever show up at this important event and show me that they care? You feel hopeless. Will they ever stop drinking or stop using? Will they ever get help for their anger or their addiction? Hopelessness talks. And here's what it sounds like. Here's what it sounds like. There's no way out. Things will never get better. I'm all alone. My trial is too much for me to handle. Nobody can fix this. And the sun rays of hope begin to be eclipsed by the clouds of trial and difficulty and disapproval and abuse and weakness and betrayal. And you feel hopeless. It's called a discouraged soul. You stop expecting God to work and you stop believing that there is potential at all that you could be used. I'm reading a book by Paul Tripp on suffering. And he says those two components are very crucial for helping you identify when you are hopeful or hopeless. It is when your expectation, that's the first word, begins to go away. You just don't think there's any good that's around the corner. There's nothing to expect that's anything of positive worth. And the second word is potential. You believe that you aren't valuable anymore or that there's no potential good that you can do anymore and that you feel hopeless. Here's a quote from Paul Tripp in this book that I found very helpful. He says this. You and I were hardwired for hope. So this supports the idea that hope is essential. You and I were hardwired for hope. Whether you're aware of it or not, it is hope that gets you up in the morning and causes you to once again do the things you do. You hope that if you do blank that you will receive blank as a result. You know, you hope if I study hard for the test, it's going to turn out okay, right? If I do this, this will happen. The way God has designed us is that vertical hope, that is our hope in Him, would fuel a horizontal life of expectant faith and courageous action. Because we know God is good and that He is faithful and that He blesses us with His presence and promises and grace, we have hope that what He tells us to do will produce good return in our lives. A joyful, obedient life is not just a result of surrender to God, it is also the product of hope. Now, if tragedy robs you of your true identity and redefines who you are, then it also dents damages or destroys your hope so travail suffering whatever word you want to use it can become your identity 
And it robs you of the one thing that all human beings need to have, what they were designed to be and to do what they were called to do. That's expectancy, hope, loss of hope. And hear this. You want to hear why hope is essential? You want to hear of the tragedies of hopelessness? Hear this. Loss of hope renders you weak and timid, lacking in motivation and courage. It causes you to hide instead of move out. It causes you to give up quickly instead of press on. It causes you to fear rather than believe. It leaves you convinced that you can't do what in fact you have the power to do. It leaves you with little expectation that your life can ever be more than it now is. Some kind of personal spiritual paralysis always results when a difficult situation becomes your identity and you lose hope. This is why it's essential. This is why it's important that we don't forget the Christian is characterized by hope and that we know how in the world can hope begin to rise again in the heart. Because we've all had these moments. We've all had these moments when sadness characterizes us more than courage. When discouragement characterizes us more than courage and boldness to move out. When we would rather go and hide than we would step out in love. When we're more aware of how heavy the trial is than of the faithfulness of our God. When fear grips us, this is hopelessness. And Paul Tripp goes on to state another quote about a friend of him who called herself depressed. And so he says this, quote, My depressed friend not only had very small expectations for her life, she was also convinced she had little potential as a woman, a wife, a mother, a neighbor, a friend, and a member of the body of Christ. When you have small expectations and have assigned to yourself little potential in many ways, you quit living. And so we know what it's like, friends. Whether it's been five minutes you felt this way, five days, five months, five years, you've been here. And in the middle of the rip current of hopelessness that seems to be taking you out to sea, there is a rescuer. A rescuer that comes and will deliver you safely through the hopeless pull. And we must remember Him. We must remember Christ Jesus because we need to know hope is possible. We need to have hope about hope. So how does hope rise again in our hearts? You know what's really interesting? Paul tells us it's by the very things that we think are taking away the hope, it's actually giving us hope. Here's what I mean. How does hope rise again in the heart? Listen to Romans chapter 5, 2 through 5. Paul says this, Through Jesus we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, so joy accompanies hope, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? I always thought that was bizarre. So he tells us why it's not bizarre. Knowing that suffering is working. Suffering produces endurance. 
And endurance produces character, and character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame. The hope that you set yourself on in Jesus, it will not put you to shame on the last day. You won't get there with regret and say, man, I hate that I really put my hope in Jesus. It will not put you to shame. And so he says, it does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How does hope rise again in our hearts? Sometimes it's the very thing we think it's taking it away is actually producing it in us. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, although we rejoice, although if necessary, we are grieved with various trials. Trials are necessary to build our hope so that our faith makes it to the end. How will hope rise again? I'm glad you asked. Great question. Romans 15, 4 says this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, why don't we say those last four words together, we might have hope. How can hope come? Through not giving up endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures. And so I just want to spend a little bit of time just giving you scripture passages, walking alongside you as a fellow sufferer, one who battles with hope in one moment and hopelessness the next, to say through the encouragement of the scriptures, we can have hope. And do what Paul says, we can hope against hope. When all circumstances seem hopeless, we can have hope. That's what he means by hope against hope. So how do we do it? The sufferer Jeremiah tells us, Lamentations 3, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You got to call it to mind. You got to set your mind upon the scriptures. You got to be encouraged by the scriptures in order that hope might rise in the human heart. So how does hope rise again? I just want to walk through several emotions that you might be feeling that might characterize hopelessness and I just want to dump hope all over them in a good way. Here we go. How does hope rise when we are hopeless? Romans 15, 13 tells us, may the God of hope fill us. That's where it begins. When you are hopeless, you have to know that God calls himself a God of hope. When God is on the scene, hope is always possible. And God's always on the scene. He's not absentee. He's always with us. And so, he's the God of hope. He created the emotion, the capacity. He is the God of hope. And so, Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing because this God of hope, when you trust in him, joy and peace begin to come with it. I'm telling you, hope is possible in the midst of your hopelessness. But this is what hopelessness does. It says it doesn't feel possible. 
It believes the lie that hope is not possible. That's what hopelessness does. But as sure as 2 plus 2 equals 4, hope is possible. Now you can tell me all day long, I believe, 3 plus 2 is 4. And that's what I believe. I'm confident 3 plus 2 is 4. And I can say, I'm glad you're confident, but it's just not true. I'm glad that guy was confident that he wasn't speeding. But I hate to break the news to him. It was a little different than he thought. Our hopelessness speaks that hope is not possible. I'm telling you, when God is on the scene, hope is possible and he's always with us. So he's the God of hope, Romans 15, 13 tells us. So, when you're hopeless, know the God of hope. What about What does hope look like in sadness? What does hope look like in sadness? Well, Psalm 42 helps us. The psalmist says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Do you see what he's doing? He's talking to himself. Soul, get hope. Don't you wish it were that easy, right? It's like, wake up, stop, get hope, get happy. It just doesn't work that way. What has to happen is a conversation with yourself, with your soul. So why are you so downcast? Why can I not stop crying? Why does the pain keep going? Why does the turmoil feel so deep? You're talking and you're saying, God, why? The psalmist will say, how long, O Lord, does this have to persist? And the psalmist here in Psalm 42 is saying, Hope in God's soul. Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation. How does hope begin to rise in the hopeless soul? Psalm 119, 147 says, You who are sad, listen to these words. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. The waking up And the crying out in the midst of your sadness is placing your hope in the Lord and in His words to kind of bring encouragement where there hasn't been encouragement, to kind of bring life where there feels like death, to bring hope. One of the greatest things in the midst of constant sadness is to know this very fact, that God is at work. He's always working. I read an article this week by uh, Pastor John Piper, and in there I found it really helpful, and so I'm putting a couple quotes here for us from that article. He says this, Think of God as a worker in your life. Yes, it is amazing. We are prone to think of ourselves as workers in God's life. But the Bible wants us to be first amazed that God is a worker In our lives, here Isaiah 64, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No, I has seen a God beside you who works for those who wait for him. Our God is working for his children. The quote goes on to say this, God is working for us around the clock. He does not take days off and he does not sleep. In fact, and hear this, I thought this was helpful. 
In fact, he is so eager to work for us that he goes around looking for more work to do for the people who trust in him. You ever thought about that? How many times have you said or heard other people say, God's too busy for me? This verse says, no, he's actually looking for more things to do for you. Second Chronicles, it says this, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him, for those who trust him. And so the article ends with this. God is not holding up a sign that says help wanted. He's holding up a sign that says help available. He's available. He's at work. In the midst of your sadness, he is working for you. Therefore, we have hope. What about hope in the midst of suffering? You just need to hear this one phrase. Suffering does not get the last word. Listen to that. You who are in pain right now, suffering does not get the last word. It doesn't. And there should have been 10,000 amens, even though there's not that many people in this room. It doesn't get the last word. How do I know that? Not only because Christ Jesus is raised from the dead, but listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. So we do not lose heart. We don't lose hope. We don't go hopeless. Why? Because though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Because this light and momentary affliction, he's not saying your suffering is inconsequential, it's not bad, or it's not serious. That's not what he's saying at all. He knows how heavy and how serious it is. On the contrary, he's saying compared to what's to come, it's light, not heavy, and it's momentary, not forever. So it says... For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that surpasses everything beyond all comparison. Ultimately, friends, suffering does not get the final word. Therefore, we have hope. What about for you who are facing fear and anxiety? Where does hope come in the midst of that? Well, one of the most famous verses on anxiety is Philippians chapter 4. Don't be anxious, but in everything, with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace, opposite of anxiety, the peace of Christ, peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So, it just seems easy, right? Don't be anxious, pray. But I've been anxious and I've prayed and I've still been anxious again. So, okay, it's not as easy as I thought it was. Something that's meant to help you. Or just... A few words right before don't be anxious that we, for whatever reason, we start at the command. Don't be anxious. Pray. Do. Come on. And then you'll stop being anxious. No. You'll stop being anxious when you listen to those first few words when it says, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious. Before it's ever about what you can do for God, you have to be convinced of his love for you And his presence with you. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious. It totally changes it. The Lord is with you. You're not alone. 
Anxiety says, I'm on this journey myself. I've got to fix it myself. God says, no, I'm with you. And I'm working for you. And I will never leave you. Don't be anxious. That's why prayer is important because it just connects you to the one who said he's already there. It's experiencing his presence. That's what we do with fear. It begins with the Lord is near. That's why the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil for you are with me. You are with me. That's the hope in the midst of the pain. Now, sometimes it's not just our sadness and our suffering and our fear that drain our hope. Sometimes it's our sin. Where is hope in the midst of our sin? I just want to help you. It's not in defensiveness and it's not in saying that you haven't sinned. It's actually in confession and running to the cross. Here's the hope for the sinner. Not in you, but in him. Listen to Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that once you fixed yourself up, he loved you. That's not what the verse says. While you were sinners, he died for you. He knew the mess you and I were. And his love took him to the cross and he died for our sins That is hope in the midst of our sin. It's been paid for. It is finished. You are loved. Now don't walk in that sin any longer. Run after Jesus. Hope in the midst of sin is found at the cross. It's about progress, not perfection. I hate to tell you, the ship of perfection has already sailed. That's why Jesus came. The standard is perfection, and we've all blown it. That's why Jesus had to come and get on the scene. To be the perfect one that we could not be. To die the death that we deserve. To stand in our place. To rise from the dead. So that when we sin, we have an advocate before the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. That's our only hope. He is our advocate. He is pleading our case. And so we stand on his righteousness alone. When we've sinned, run to him. He's our hope. What does hope look like when someone or something has hurt you? Because you know, if someone hurts you, you're tempted to lose hope. You know that if you get sick, you experience disease, you experience a diagnosis that you don't know the outcome, it can lead to hopelessness. What does hope look like in the midst of that? Well, first of all, what about that person who has hurt you? Remembering your own journey will help you love others. Who have hurt you. Here's what I mean. We just talked about we're sinners. Right? And our only hope is the cross of Jesus Christ. So listen to this amazing story of grace. 1 Thessalonians 5. He says. And for a helmet. The hope of salvation. So put on hope. What's the hope? The hope that sinners can be saved. And here's how he teases that out. Let me explain this to you. He says. For God has not destined us. For wrath, that's what we deserve. But he's not destined us for wrath like our sins deserve. Instead, to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died. So that we, whether we are awake, that is alive, or whether we have died, that is asleep, we might live for him. Therefore, encourage one another. With what? 
Encourage one another. With what? That you're not destined for wrath, but that you will obtain the salvation that Jesus died for. Encourage one another with that. So how does that apply to the one who's hurt you? If God can save you, he can save the one who has hurt you. You pray. And if God has forgiven you, he will give you everything you need to be forgiving and loving towards the one who has hurt you. It's possible. Hope is possible because God is on the scene. But what about when something has hurt you? Sickness. Something difficult has come your way. Spiritual attack. Somebody pointed me to a post this week on Facebook by one of our members, Esther Gaines. And she was on a school field trip. And while she was on a school field trip, she saw a snake. I don't like snakes. And she doesn't like them either. High five to my sister. Not all snakes are equal, right? Some are poisonous, some are not. This was a black snake. It was harmless. But it still doesn't mean I like them. And so she writes this. It's just a a portion of her post. This snake pictured, though long and creepy in appearance, is actually harmless. It has not ability to do significant harm to humans other than to bite them. They're also helpful in consuming other pests and are preferred over other snakes. I realized from last week when she had talked about spiritual attack, she says, I realized from last week that the enemy is truly harmless against me and mines. She said, is that a word? I don't know. His bite is insignificant as well as his length and size. Why? Because God has authority over him. That's Satan. And apparently, 1 John 4, 4 is true. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So snake, I see you. Although your presence is uncomfortable, and I say amen, I know what you are made to do. You're just a reminder that my God is greater and everything he creates is with purpose, like you. You move towards me, you move me towards him and remind me that God has overcome it all. Therefore, so will I. I say amen. What you need to remember in the midst of the difficulty is that he is greater than evil. He's greater. And so you can have hope. Last one. What about when the future is unknown and you have no clue what's coming? That can make you feel really hopeless. I don't know what's next. Well, first of all, you need to remember, he loves you. And that's enough. Romans 8.32, if he did not spare his only son but gave him over for us all, how will he not also in Christ graciously give you everything you need? You will have everything you need when you need it. Psalm 34 says he is withholding no good thing from you. You've got it all. Even though you really, really, really want to know what's next. He loves you and that's enough. But friends, our future is secure. It is secure because a day is coming when we will see him in unfiltered glory and he will make all wrongs right and bring us into a new heavens and a new earth. This is the one hope of the Christian. Titus 2, 11, 13 says this. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people who are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, what do we do? Some of you feel hopeful, but you're in close proximity to those whose hope is waning. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, if you have hope, don't be impatient with the hopeless. Don't just take a list of these verses and say, bam, go find hope. Be Jesus to the hopeless. What does that look like? Hope just can't happen unless God can sovereignly do that, but it just regularly doesn't just all of a sudden, boop, hope. It's not how it rolls. So you be the presence of Jesus to them. You be patient with them. You listen to them. You pray more for them than you counsel them. And when you give truth, give it at the right time and give it in love. Truth needs to be spoken. Because that's where encouragement comes from for hope. But if you have hope and someone you know does not, please be patient. But for many of you who are struggling with hopelessness, any doctor, physical doctor or psychiatrist will tell you that the demands in your life have to be met by renewal. That you can't just constantly be pouring out and not find renewal. So if you aren't sleeping very well, they'll encourage you to get some sleep. But it's not only sleep, right? Some of you who have battled with depression or sadness, if you just keep sleeping, that doesn't solve your issues, does it? Just let me sleep more, let me sleep more. It actually is a self-perpetuating cycle. It's like when you just sit there and you expect, man, I'm really exhausted, so I'm just going to sit on the couch, and that's all you do. Do you get more energetic or less? Less, because you atrophy. You're just like, uh, you know, you become more tired, more fatigued. So what's crucial? Exercise is crucial. Exercise is crucial to help the blood pump. And it's amazing how when you get outside yourself, when you actually exercise, how it even improves your, your hope and your capacity. But here's what I'm pushing on. I'm pushing on this. We need spiritual exercise. The musician doesn't get better by not practicing. The athlete doesn't get better by refusing to train. The marriage doesn't improve by refusing to talk to each other and refusing to be in the same room with each other. We must be with Jesus. We must exercise spiritually. We must abide with Him. We must sit with Him. Parents of children, young children especially, one of the holiest things you can do is to tell your children, I need a break from you to be with Jesus. Call it room time, call it screen time, call it read a book time, whatever you need to call it, one of the holiest things you can do is to say, I need some time alone. You are living a lie to think you can just grit it out. 
You need to be with Jesus so that you have any hope of energy and wisdom for the hours to come. And your children need to know how desperate you are for God. I encourage you. Young, old, single, married, we all need to abide with Christ. And so, as you abide, I want you to have hope. I'm going to read a bullet list and we're done. Here it is. Have hope. I have hope because, and here's a summary of where we've been, because God is the God of hope. I have hope because His love never ceases and His mercies are new every morning. I have hope because God is working in us and for us. I have hope because the Lord is near and with us. I have hope because God grants repentance. I have hope because Christ died for sins. I have hope because He gives what He commands. I have hope because He gives desire and spiritual fruit. I have hope because God keeps His word. And I have hope because He is greater than evil. I have hope because God saves sinners. I have hope because He hears our prayers and delivers us from our fears. I have hope because suffering does not get the last word. And I have hope because He is coming again to make all wrongs right and to bring us into a new heavens and a new earth. This I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Let's pray.